Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Nagorno-Karabakh is a mountainous region in the South Caucasus that is claimed by both Armenia and Azerbaijan. Following the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Azerbaijan and Armenia fought a devastating war for control of this territory. Tens of thousands of people were killed before a ceasefire was enacted in 1994. The ceasefire resulted in Nagorno-Karabakh being formally recognized as Azerbaijani territory, though its inhabitants, who are mostly ethnic Armenians, exert de facto control over the region and have been supported by the government of Armenia. For decades, an international group including Russia, the United States, and France sought to mediate a peace deal, but to no avail. There's been periodic flare-ups of conflict over the years, but none as intense as the current fighting, which erupted in mid-September. The fighting in Nagorno-Karabakh today is the most serious crisis in the South Caucasus region since 1994. And according to my guest today, there's little prospect for de-escalation. Olesya Vartanyan is a senior analyst with the International Crisis Group working in the South Caucasus. I caught up with her from Tbilisi, Georgia. We kick off discussing the history of conflict in this region before she offers her analysis of why such intense fighting is erupting right now. We also discuss the broader regional and geopolitical implications of this fighting. We recorded our conversation just a few days after this major escalation in fighting began, and so this is obviously a fluid situation at time of recording. Still, this conversation will give you some useful background and context for understanding events as they unfold. And make no mistake, this is a major international crisis. As always, uh, I love hearing from you guys. Let me know what you think of this episode and other episodes. You know, it's always tricky to do an episode when there is such a fast-moving situation, but it's my intention and aspiration in these kinds of episodes to provide background and context so you can understand events as they unfold. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com to get in touch with me or hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. I do love hearing from you. All right, so here is my conversation with Olesya Vartanan of the International Crisis Group. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
So Nagorno-Karabakh is a mountainous area. It is located very close to the Iranian border. And the region is part of this kind of broader region of the South Caucasus, sandwiched between Iran, Turkey and Russia. The region is now uh, a home to um, almost 150,000 people. Uh, nearly all of them are ethnic Armenians. And the region declared its independence uh, in the 90s, um, shortly before the war uh, with Azerbaijan. And uh, after that, basically, you know, the territory that the Armenians control, it expanded. Uh, so it's not only the former Nagorno-Karabakh Soviet oblast, uh, but also um, five regions and two parts of the region that were previously populated by ethnic Azerbaijanis and controlled by Baku directly during the Soviet times. The, uh, this whole territory is um, called, is referenced as uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict zone. Um, the Armenian name for the region is Artsakh. And, you know, so, so as you mentioned, the area in Nagorno-Karabakh specifically where fighting has uh, erupted, you know, is majority ethnic Armenian, controlled by ethnic uh, Armenians, but is part of Azerbaijan formally. And that's the result of a 1994 agreement after a really brutal fighting following the dissolution of the Soviet Union? Uh, this is very much the case. Um, so the region is uh, self-governed. Uh, it uh, keeps very close contact uh, with Armenia, uh, politically, economically, militarily. Um, the, the region mainly, you know, has its own economy. It has uh, its finances uh, and, and everything uh, related to that. I mean, they have their elections. They elect their leadership. Um, the leadership of Nagorno-Karabakh used to have uh, their role in the peace process. Uh, they lost their uh, seat at the table um, in the second half of the 90s. Uh, um, there are different versions why it happened, uh, but I mean, you know, it's uh, obvious uh, that uh, it's uh, it's one of the problems. And Ar Armenia made several attempts uh, since then, you know, to return them to the table, but for obvious reasons, again, I mean, uh, Azerbaijan was uh, always against uh, against that. These are negotiations, we should say, that are largely overseen by Russia and France and the United yeah. States. Is that right? Under the auspices of the OSCE? Yeah, OSCE means group co-chairs. Uh, so mm -hmm. you have a list of these co-chairing countries because there is a, also a means group for, and it has mm -hmm. many more countries uh, okay. uh, country there. But I, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if this is of any interest to your audience, but just like for general background, they may... Um, want to know that Nagorno-Karabakh is not, recogni is not uh, recognized by any uh, UN member country, uh, including Armenia itself. Um, some de facto states like Abkhazia, South Ossetia, uh, they recognized, uh, they recognized uh, Nagorno-Karabakh and there were some resolutions adopted by the several US states uh, in, mm. in support to Nagorno-Karabakh. Yeah, which is, you know, a consequence of the sort of Armenian lobby, which is, you know, an, an active political lobby here in the United States, likely. And, and, and the, yeah, the, and the support that comes uh, from those mm -hmm. who think that the Nagorno-Karabakh uh, uh, Republic or the de facto entity should definitely have uh, mm -hmm. its say and its role and definitely deserve independence. Mm -hmm. 
But but it is significant, as you noted, that not even Armenia has formally declared an independent Nagorno-Karabakh, but also, as you noted earlier, the local political leadership of Nagorno-Karabakh is, is excluded from these peace talks. With this, uh, yes, with this case, and Armenia did not, did not recognize formally Nagorno-Karabakh, because they uh, always said that uh, then there will be no point, that would, there will be no point in the negotiations, uh, and kind of the central issue, and basically Basically, the founding issue of the whole conflict is the status of Nagorno-Karabakh. You know, if Armenia recognizes Nagorno-Karabakh, then, uh, you know, it complicates the whole negotiation process. Mm -hmm. So that's been basically, you know, the status quo, as you said, for, for decades. Why has fighting seemingly erupted so suddenly? Well, you know, this is a surprise to many outside the region, but for those uh, who live here and those who follow the developments uh, around Nagorno-Karabakh on a daily basis, we were definitely not surprised. I can tell you even more. I mean, I was discussing with my colleagues what what we should do, you know, how to proceed if there is the war just several days ago, because it was so obvious that uh, tensions were on the rise along the front lines. Um, uh, you know, with uh, Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, it has its kind of uh, its own logic, I would say. Whenever there are problems uh, in the talks, in negotiations, right away you see uh, how uh, with problems project to the situation along the front lines. So when they fail, when there are problems, when one of the sides is not happy, in many cases with Azerbaijan, um, right away we see uh, escalations, clashes, uh, and all of this happening. The current fighting is definitely of the larger scale than anything we have seen uh, since the war in the 90s. Um, you know, the attack started along the whole front line. It was very well prepared and coordinated with heavy weaponry, helicopters, uh, drones, infantry. And, uh, yeah, I mean... For those uh, who were in, in who are in, in the region, this was also not of a surprise because um, actually uh, even mobilization process uh, and some some attempts to register, you know, like for example, vehicles that are in possession of civilians in Azerbaijan, it started uh, several days before the escalation. It was all kind of you know open; no one was trying even to hide that. And so, then, so just to be clear, it was Azerbaijan in this instance that sparked this new round of conflict? You know, Baku definitely dis denies this, and uh, they try to make with uh, one of these issues that is disputed, but all the information and, uh, that we received that morning, um, video, photo information, inform and I'm not talking about the, what uh, the sites were talking, I'm not talking about officials, all that information made it clear that uh, that was an attack uh, coming from Azerbaijan. And why? Like, what was the proximate reason, as best you can deduce, of, of why Azerbaijan mounted this attack? Yeah, I started uh, telling this and then I kind of left it out. But look, uh, um, this uh, negotiation process mediated by the OSCE means group co-chairs, it has been in a very deep deadlock for more than a decade. 
Um, and there were attempts, you know, to make new proposals. Uh, and um, especially after the change to the leadership in Armenia, you know, there was some hope that maybe um, the sites can make use of this moment so that they reset the whole kind of process that was completely in deadlock without any kind of light in the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, this did not happen. And, uh, you know, for for Baku, for Azerbaijan, this is the priority to get the absolute priority to get the control uh, of the territories that they lost during the war in the 90s. They wanted to do that through the negotiation process. The talks failed. So now they see the only option is the war. And, you know, I know this is a fast evolving situation and we're speaking uh, on Wednesday, uh, my time here in, here in the United States, um, in uh, September 30th. Just can you explain like what has transpired uh, on the ground in terms of the fighting? Um, every day we see more and in, in, in intense fighting going on in different sections uh, of the with 200 kilometers of front line. So it started uh, with very intense fighting uh, in the south, which is a um, area, flat area, you know, with valleys. And there, I mean, theoretically, one can advance faster, you know, using tanks uh, to take um, uh, to take control of the territory. Uh, the next day, we saw uh, fighting, uh, to, um, very intense fighting happening at the other end of the front line. That area is more difficult to fight because it's uh, uh, with our mountains covered with dense forest. And there, we did not hear any kind of, you know, uh, statements about claimed, you know, one or the other side taking any uh, control of any of new territory. And uh, during the last couple of days, we see the intense fighting at the um, most difficult uh, section of the front line. Uh, it's a Murov Dak uh, mountains. And look, I mean, they are really very high, the highest peaks in the whole region. And uh, they are covered by snow all year. And uh, um, so it's really very intense uh, thing going on right now. But what we have been seeing during all these days is that um, the longer it takes, uh, the um, the, the harder is the section, let's say, you know, the harder is the spot that uh, uh, the Azerbaijani army uh, adds to the, its list of, uh, of kind of priority tasks, you know, along so, with its uh, front line. So, I mean, I'm wondering how much credence you give to reports that I've seen over the last day or two that uh, Turkey, which is a key backer of Azerbaijan in this dispute, has um, solicited or hired Syrian mercenaries to join the fight uh, against Armenia in this region. You know, I started getting this information uh, from reporters who work on Syria and who are based in Turkey days before uh, the escalation. Uh, they mainly were calling me to ask uh, uh, some questions about background, and no one really could believe that this was happening. You know, they were all looking for more and more confirmations. 
And I spoke to the reporters who already had their information about people being transferred to Syria and who were already uh, located in Turkey and were looking or were kind of waiting for their departure for Azerbaijan. Um, but everyone was so careful, you know, with everyone just could not believe, many could not believe really that that was happening. Um, and now we see just uh, confirmations coming from uh, the media reports. Uh, every day we see new photos posted by the um, alleged uh, Syrian fighters who are in Azerbaijan and that they are in Azerbaijani uniform, you know, and uh, some photos uh, of uh, them getting killed or wounded. So um, Baku obviously denies everything. Um, and and I mean, think, who is the capital of, of Azerbaijan? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. For people so, who do not know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry yeah. for that. Yeah. No, 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 it's okay. I, Azerbaijan obviously denies everything. Um, but uh, yeah, we think is definitely in the air and something should be, um, should be behind this, you know, this story. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the reason I, I ask that question is because it just suggests the you know, broader geopolitics at play over this region, which you you know described earlier as being a you know, remote mountainous region, but it does have some really big um, geopolitical implications. So, I mean, to that end, can you just briefly describe um, Turkey's interests uh, in in this conflict and uh, the role that Russia uh, has historically played in mediating disputes between uh, Azerbaijan and Armenia? With geopolitical uh, complexity of this uh, whole story around Nagorno-Karabakh was one of the main kind of containers, something that contained the, uh, the eruption of fighting in the past. And uh, there are still analysts, uh, you know, who cannot understand how it could happen uh, while we still, uh, we have this uh, thing uh, with Turkey supporting Azerbaijan and Russia um, potentially, and with Russia that could potentially intervene. Um, well, you know, things started changing um, during the summer. Um, in mid-July, uh, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, um, they engaged in brief clashes at their border. Um, non ma- not major fighting, uh, mainly localized one, but uh, it, it produced a lot of uh, political statements uh, from Ankara. Ankara f- always supported Azerbaijan. It never made any kind of secret of its support uh, uh, to Baku. But uh, uh, what happened uh, during the summer is Ankara started... Uh, um, openly threatening, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, that it will take a greater role, uh, that it will um, engage more. And um, we first saw, um, right after the clashes, we saw the largest ever drills uh, between Turkish and Azerbaijani armies in Azerbaijan, inside Azerbaijan, and also senior um, delegations um, of uh, senior military officials uh, Turkish officials coming to, to Baku to discuss how Turkey could help more. Uh, in, and uh, wh- what is with more? <laughs> you know, with this kind of another question. Um, now, when when the fighting uh, started, uh, the, one of the first statements that uh, President of Turkey made, uh, he said that uh, his country uh, his country is ready to support Azerbaijan with all means, and. Uh, we 
many of us now have this question, you know, and this is a, like Turkey is definitely playing a wild card in in this whole story because we we do not really understand what is this with all means. Does it mean just like um, um, selling weapons? What Turkey has been doing, sending instructors? What Turkey has been doing uh, even before that, or something more like Turkey deploying its troops to the conflict zone, Turkey um, opening the second front uh, at its eastern border with uh, Armenia? What is this more? And um, we, this thing is definitely um, disturbing and uh, hitting the the whole situation. Um, when it and, comes- and so, 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 just as Turkey is seemingly escalating uh, the situation in its support of Azerbaijan against Armenia, I mean, how have the Russians responded? I mean, the Russians have historically, you know, had friendly relations with both sides, although. Um, things have been gotten more tense in recent years between Russia and, and Turkey. Um, so what, what have you hearing from, from Moscow at this point? Well, Moscow um, has been playing the role of mediator uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, Moscow is the lead uh, uh, country in the OSCE Minsk group. Uh, I mean, among with co-chairs, free co-chairs and uh, Russia uh, also, managed to help them reach the ceasefire during previous escalation in 2016. Russia also is the one that brought both sides back to the negotiations uh, after this major escalation. Um, so many look at Russia to see like what, what it is going to do. I mean, is it going to kind of repeat uh, its... Uh, um, diplomatic intervention so that the fighting uh, stops in the conflict zone and it makes their leaders to come together. Um, I think uh, the current situation that we have uh, is, uh, in in the current situation, Russia is definitely more uh, vulnerable uh, than in in 2016, when they last kind of intervened with uh, their robust uh, uh, diplomacy um, and and, uh, helped to to, to have a ceasefire back then. And uh, the main thing uh, is that, you know, if Russia has to take uh, one of the sides, um, let's say it starts supporting only Armenia, then um, that means that Russia's presence and Russia's influence in the South Caucasus goes down because it is going to lose um, friendly relationship with a country, with Azerbaijan, which has the biggest economy, biggest population um, in the South Caucasus. It's really a very important country for Russia, yeah? And uh, um, not not just because uh, the South Caucasus, but even kind of a broader region, uh, the Caspian Sea, uh, um, and many, many other things. Um, and if they intervene... Um, they have called for the ceasefire already. They uh, called on the sides to return to the talks. Uh, we haven't seen a single call of uh, the president of Russia to um, to the, his counterpart uh, in Azerbaijan. And I think one of the main reasons for that is just because he does not have anything to propose instead of con- with fighting. Uh, if to, in if years ago Russian still could uh, tell to Azerbaijan that, okay, guys, you know, it's time to stop and you can actually have a chance. Uh, We promise you, you will get your territories back through talks. 
right now this is not the case just because of the many years of failure failures in and this continuous deadlock in, in the talks just russians have very little to propose and so it seems that the situation you're describing right now is one that is not likely to de-escalate uh, because the key player here, as you said, um, Russia just doesn't apparently have the wherewithal or, or means to sort of impose um, de-escalation among the parties. Is, is that like a fair characterization? I think so, and uh, the current situation does definitely has more potential to actually turn into a bigger war uh, rather than um, you know finishing anytime soon. Um, the main reason for that, I believe, is actually the uh, stance of the Armenian side, because so far we have what we saw is that the Armenian troops they have been only on defense, so they were defending their positions only. We did not see any attempts from their side to um, to make an advance into deeper into Azerbaijani territory. Uh, they also um, seem to be very careful uh, not to. Uh, launch uh, any kind of uh, uh, big attacks uh, at the areas uh, with a civilian population. And actually on the Azerbaijani side, Azerbaijan is much more vulnerable in that sense because there are around 300,000 people living within 15 kilometers uh, from the front line on the Azerbaijani side. And you know, in some places, the Azerbaijani villages are located so close to the Armenian position. When you stand there, you just can hear kids playing. You know, so uh. Uh, there is so Armenians. Armenians, uh, what we have been observing so far, maybe while we even you know while we are talking, something is changing. But what we have been observing so far is that Armenians uh, did not really um, make use of some of the cards that they have, uh, including I mean from from point of view of taking advantage of the situation. And probably one of the main reasons for that is because they. Uh, they still are able to sustain the control uh, of most of the positions along the front line, and they don't feel that it's a critical situation when they have, you know, to use uh, tools like this. Um, I think uh, one of the um, uh, major threats uh, in this current situation, especially we are to see civilian casualties, and no matter on the Armenian or, or on the Azerbaijani side, uh, and look, I mean, there were attacks at the Armenian uh, civilian areas with civilian casualties and all of that, uh, including in the areas which are very far from the front line, just for clarity. But if we are to see more developments and more violence taking place there, you know, this can be a, a good reason for one or, one or, or both regional powers to have their say. And uh, um, I can tell you that uh, before, um, before the escalation, uh, one of the talking points uh, of the Russian officials I, I had the chance to speak to uh, in Moscow and also in some other parts of the world, but those who are who work on Nagorno-Karabakh, they never made it secret. Uh, a secret, you know, they were saying that if the um, situation escalates to the point, um, you know, when we see that there is a need for our intervention, we will do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now we see Turkey saying the same. So there is definitely more potential for uh, for escalation, unfortunately. Finally, can I ask what would you advise 
governments and, and policymakers around the world to, to prevent an escalation of this crisis? Look, in the, in the past, ceasefires were uh, much easier to break uh, or to have with ceasefires between the sides when um, both of them or one of them was exhausted. Right? I mean, when, uh, when they see the need uh, to reinforce their armies or when they um, need to deploy additional weaponry, when basically they need time, then uh, this could be the, also the, with a good entry point for, uh, for mediators, I would say. You know? Then they need to jump in uh, the situation and, uh, start and make an attempt to do something. There is another... Um, uh, kind of option and uh, it's more radical and I'm not sure people will like what I'm going to say but look um, one of the main uh, reasons why this fighting did not uh, start uh, before is uh, the threat that Russia can do something so you know Russia can intervene Russia can um, basically you know deploy its troops station new uh, establish new military bases in the conflict zone that would definitely limit the sovereignty of both Armenia and Azerbaijan. Um, we haven't seen Russia mm, making statements about this threat yet. Um, yeah, I mean, and uh, this could be also one of the, uh, probably one of the tools. But uh, in terms of the advice, um, there is a need uh, for very active diplomacy and international diplomacy. We see a lot of calls that are um, of different uh, uh, international leaders, France, Germany. Um, there, Brussels is very active. Uh, we, uh, we read their statements and we understand that they all are about the same. Um, ceasefire, return to table, protect civilians. And... Um, um, it's really very good that we have this kind of, you know, consolidated opinion about this. Um, and uh, we probably need uh, more, um, more uh, robust attempts in terms of uh, finding the way to mediate between uh, uh, Yerevan and Baku. I, I actually skipped that when discussing the July uh, clashes, but I... I I would say that one of the reasons why we are seeing this uh, current escalation um, is that with tension that took place during the summer, uh, after that we did not see any kind of active uh, follow-up to international diplomacy happening. I mean, no shuttle diplomacy, uh, no like leaders calling to Baku and Yerevan and making proposals or offering them something. And this is really very important to do now. I understand that... Uh, uh, there are with COVID-related restrictions of travel. But once you fly to the region and find a way to speak to the leaders and make them understand and, uh, you know, and discuss with them uh, what is needed, how to proceed so that we um, stop with fighting as soon as possible and do not uh, uh, reach with turning point when it will be uh, very difficult to return to any kind of conversation um, about like negotiations and uh, or, or peace process overall. 
well, well, thank you so much for your time and your analysis. This was very helpful. Obviously, it's a, a very fast-moving situation, but you, I think, provided some really great context for listeners to understand the situation as it evolves in the coming days and weeks and months. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Olesia. That was very helpful. And obviously this is a fast moving situation, but uh, again, it is one of profound international consequence. Uh, I'm glad I was able to do such a fast uh, turnaround of an episode on this. I recorded this uh, just hours before I, I published it. So big thank you again to Olesia for making herself available to me uh, in what is a very busy and fraught time in the region. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.